You are listening to the Therefore I Geek podcast, episode number 40. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore a Geek. I'm Andrew. And I'm Tracy. And today we're going to take a little bit of time and talk about Marvel's currently ongoing event, uh, Secret Wars. Yes. So, Tracy, what do you, what do you think of, of Secret Wars? Well, so far it is very much the book that was promised. Um, there's... Marvel Actually, has. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so you know, before before we get to do, let's get a little bit of history on this. Yeah. So, this is the more or less the third title Marvel has done that's called Secret Wars. Yes. There was a series back in the early '80s uh, called Secret Wars, and effectively it was a giant 12 issue toy 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 ad. Um, Marvel was launching a series of of action figures. And uh, the, the the event was basically designed to tie in the action figures. For the most part, didn't do a whole lot for us, um, with one notable exception, obviously. It was the Black Spider-Man costume, which then later became Venom. Uh, that, that premiered in mm-hmm. issue number 8 of 12. Uh, then a few years later, uh, Jim Shooter, who was the editor-in-chief of Marvel, basically made his magnum opus of Secret Wars 2, which disrupted the ever-loving crap out of the entire Marvel Universe for no apparent reason. Uh, it was really a very self-serving uh, uh, piece of work and mm-hmm. is generally not particularly well thought of. Uh, now, this Secret Wars was actually uh, pitched by Jonathan Hickman. Yes, um, which is why I was interested in it. Well, I think what's funny about it being pitched by Hickman is the fact that, so Hickman Hickman's giant, you know, th- two and a half, three year run on the Avengers, was actually because he pitched Secret Wars. It was it was basically how do we get to Secret Wars, and the idea was he wanted to, basically, destroy the Marvel universe and combine all of the, the different multiverses. Realistically, mostly combining six one six and Ultimate Universe. Yes, and this is kind of. I wouldn't say brand new for Marvel, but it's definitely newer or more unusual for Marvel than it is for DC to do this kind of thing. I mean, we've talked about DC before and how they are perpetually reinventing their own universe. Right. Well, this this is a a crisis level event, if you will, for Marvel, where they're they're really kind of reshaping their universe. And we've kind of seen this coming for a couple of years for the Ultimate Universe. Um most people are pretty convinced that Ultimatum was was actually going to be the, the death of the Ultimate Universe, and it didn't. So so now we actually have the end of the Ultimate Universe, and coinciding with the end of 616. Yeah. Of course, this was sort of an industry secret that Secret Wars is coming. until re- oh, Well, until it started. Well, um, kind of. I think... The, the direction they were taking Secret Wars was kind of up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, I don't think that 
Secret Wars in themselves. I mean, they announced that they were doing Secret Wars, and everyone kind of let out a collective groan, uh, with the exception probably of those, those those few individuals who were in the know. Having said that, I I am fairly pleased with what's been going on. Good. Um, you know, I think a lot of that. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the main title and the general idea has been thought out by Hickman. Yeah. Uh, and then the, obviously the main title is the arts is by uh, Isad Ribic, who is just a fantastic artist. I, I absolutely love. So that that's also helpful. Yes, it, it's very it's a very cohesive story, which is nice. Yeah, much more so than I than I had expected out of out of Secret Wars. So so to give you guys a heads up, spoilers will we'll come. We'll, we'll we'll try not to be too too brutal with them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think really in order to talk about this one, there will be some spoilers involved. So, yeah. So, th- anyways, at the, at the end of Hickman's run of Avengers, the universe ends. Heroes are unable to save the universe, and it ends. Mm-hmm. Where Secret Wars picks up is that Doctor Doom, uh, in in conjunction with Stephen Strange, has basically taken what is left of the universe and remade it into battle world with god doom standing over all and stephen strange as uh the sheriff vagamato which is his 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 lieutenant basically now this this battle earth is earth 616 and battle world i'm sorry battle world yes i'm sorry um is earth 616 and um what's the other one that uh the ultimate Universe? Well, it's the ultimate universe, but I mean, there's there's stuff in here from all over the place. Okay, so everything's kind of collided, and we're trying to create one single unified storyline. Well, at least that's the impression that I'm getting. It's not necessarily creating one single unified storyline. It's those two storylines have come together. Ah, okay. Right. We're not we're not trying to we're not trying to take everything that has happened previously and mash them all together as much as it is we're going forward from this point. Okay. Now, having said that, most of the regions of Battleworld are coming out of old Marvel storylines, and and most of the other ti- you know, most of the other titles take place uh, in those. Uh, j- just this is certainly not an ex- an exhaustive list of them, but just for example, uh, you have a Civil War title, you have a Siege title, Age of Apocalypse. House of M, uh, E is for Extinction, uh, 1602, let's see what else here, I'm loading up my Comicsology page here, Armor Wars, a couple of Guardians titles, um, Guardians of Nowhere, uh, Star-Lord and Kitty Pride, Inferno, it's kind of all all over the place, um, there's some other titles, I mean, I tend to, I t- those tend to be the titles I read, so. That's what yeah. I'm looking at, but there's there's been yeah. some really, really quite good stuff out of this. Not yes. gonna lie. Yeah, um, I've really enjoyed the art. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about I, I, I mentioned the last podcast I was really behind on comics, so I've actually been kind of grinding through comics, trying to catch up, and I have honestly been very pleasantly surprised at the quality of art with this many titles going on. Yes. And and this much art diversity. Hmm. Yes. You know, the, and and the the style the styles are kind of all over. They, if 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 the book is 
based on an on an older title like Age of Apocalypse or Civil War, they tend to be closer to that original style of art. Age of Apocalypse. I'm, I'm just looking at one of the covers now, but in general, I think that one really is a very similar style. Um, Sixteen oh two. That was that's similar to what it, the original style. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of them like a lot of them like that. But yeah, it's it's been a, a really just strong, strong uh, showing. Now, in the Marvel universe, um, Wolverine died. I mean, we had the whole death of Wolverine thing, um, and I I've been sort of in Secret Wars, but I've been doing mostly the main title, and then I did some House of M. But then when I was just at my local comic book store, they mentioned that um, Old Man Logan is also tied into this in some way. Well, again, that's, that's another one of those stories that they're revisiting. I mean, like Wolverine is in Age of Apocalypse, too. Yeah. There are multiple Wolverines around. There are yeah, multiple yeah, yeah. versions of each of the characters scattered throughout Battle World, certain, certain ones more than others. Um, Thor, in particular, there's an entire book just called Thor's, which actually is turning There's out a bunch to... of them now at this point. Well, it's, uh, that that one's actually turning out to be one of my favorite titles of this entire entire run. It's kind of a it's it's a, it's a, it's almost like a cop drama because the Thor the Thors are are Doom's um, enforcers that they are the police of Battleworld. Yep. And the title Thors really is is like a like a procedural cop drama. It's really kind of interesting. But there's all the the Thor stuff mixed in, plus some of the uh, the supernatural and magical elements to it, and it's just it's interesting. It's fun, and you know you get a lot of a lot of different versions of Thor. And I think Thor is one of those characters that's kind of all over the place in terms of um, characterization. Yeah. The, kind of the main character of of the of the book is uh, Thor. Is Ultimate Thor. Um, his partner is Beta Ray Bill. You've got uh, a couple of other different Thor iterations. Uh, the Destroyer is one. Groot is a Thor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Storm is a Thor. Yeah, and at this point, it's um, it kind of goes back to something, and this is for movie watchers who don't really read the comic books, but um, in the second Avengers movie, uh, Age of Ultron, there's a kind of that moment where they're asking everyone to try to lift Mjolnir and determine who is worthy, you know, to lift Mjolnir. And that's the whole idea behind the Thors, that if you can lift it, then you are one. Um, well, well, it's more than just that. I mean, there's certainly there's that aspect to it, but it's also just, I mean, these are all these different people. Thor is not... So it, it, it's, it has more to do with the idea that Thor is the mantle and not the man. Yes. Or, or woman in this case. Uh, now, if, and actually, one, one of the more recent issues, they actually reintroduced Unworthy Thor, who was the Thor at the end of, um, who 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 became unworthy. Uh, what the hell was the event recently? Original Sin? Yes. At the, at, during Original Sin, Thor who became yeah. unworthy. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, and not to always do this, but I, I think you can tie that kind of into a very ancient, very Hebrew, biblical idea of picking up the mantle of the prophet right it's it's a matter of who you are and what your motivation is and the idea of being a prophet being someone who's tied into kind of the cosmic universe is something that is tied to your essence really and and that's kind of the same thing here i i love this 
way that Marvel kind of ties in, especially with the idea of Thor and the idea of Loki and that kind of thing, where they really tie into a mythos that is thousands of years old. Um, and that it, it's something that reverberates, I think, with humanity on um, a very hard wired level that we're always looking for something a little bigger than us. And I think that Thor does that really well or the idea of, of being a Thor. Well, you know, I would say that it's not just a, a biblical, I mean, that, that's really a hist- an historical idea in general. Yeah. Ta- taking up of the mantle. Also, uh, I mean, something we see in Marvel comics too. the character, black Panther, mm-hmm. right? T'Ch- T'Challa is black Panther. But T'Challa is one of many who have been Black Panther. Yeah, and it's 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 a a role to play. It's a title. It's a position, not a not strictly a a individual identity. Yeah, and it's a destiny to fulfill, right? And that's something that we're all kind of looking for in ourselves. Um, what what part do I play? And having something like that, I think, is a great way for every reader to kind of identify with um but yeah so that that's one of the things that i really love about having multiple thors is that it does become not just a single person but more like you said a mantle to pick up yeah um now in in general looking at the series um i think one, one thing i've noticed more than anything else and it somewhat has to do with think with the storylines that were take that were chosen and how they approach them so a lot of these stories are really kind of what if stories, mm-hmm. you know, if in, instead of what had happened in, in the, in the comic, what if something else had happened? Um, it, it's kind of resulted in a lot of very dark books, a lot of them. Yeah. And, and again, I think, I think in part because I was, I was grinding through them. I got more of that sense. If I think of her, I were reading them just kind of week to week, it probably wouldn't have hit me quite as much. Like Age of Apocalypse is super dark. Civil War is very dark. Um, Inferno is also. I mean, again, I'm reading a lot of X titles, mm-hmm. but a lot of the places they they decided to pick up these these titles was you know instead of the the heroes winning, you know, the heroes didn't save the day, and. Yeah. and Unfortunately, that you really can only go from to a dark place from there. I think they're gonna. A lot of these stories are gonna come out the other side, feeling better. You know, not necessarily Mm -hmm. happy, but they're not gonna come out quite as dark. But yeah, a lot of these books are really kind of kind of downers. Absolutely. Um, Having said that, I think they're well enough written that I don't. I don't feel bad about it. Like sometimes you read something, you're like, oh man, it's a real downer, and you just kind of like, I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want. and to read any more of this yeah these are so well written that even though it's a downer i really want i want to read more because i want to know how the story continues and i i i I still have a hope that things are going to go go better absolutely and And you care about the characters well i care about the characters and that's i mean i'm reading a lot of x titles because of that because that's just that's what i like Mm -hmm. but i think it's also you know these are superheroes and I want them to be superheroes. I want them to come in and I want them to save the day. Yeah. And 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 that that's been a really nice thing. Well, and not just superheroes, but even those that kind of walk the the very fine line between superheroes and supervillains, right? So, um, like I said, I there's only two House of M's out right now. I, I, one might have come out this week. I'm not sure. Um, 
when I had the first two, and they're told at least in the beginning from Magneto's perspective, um, having you know lived a full life and and is sort of reaping the rewards of of what he's done. And I actually, that's I, also- I, say, I really really enjoyed that that the beginning from Magneto and that yes. when he's talking about everything he fought for and everything he believed in. And the fact that he never, ever thought that he would live to see this. He even says, maybe my grandchildren would would live to see this. Yes. And he kind of doesn't know what to do with himself right now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's it, you're right. It's absolutely dark. And yet there's and I think it does go back to how well written it is that you kind of feel as though this isn't the end. You know, you feel that something better is just around the corner. At least hope for something better is just around the corner for these characters. And that's something that is just sort of implied in the text. It's never really stated. Well, admittedly, the House of M title, though, that one's actually one of the less dark titles. Uh, if you read Age of Apocalypse and you read Inferno, those are those are fairly dark. Mm-hmm. Um, one title I'm actually a little disappointed with, and I may just need to put some more time into it, is uh, is 1602, is uh, Angela Witch, Hunt, Witch Hunter Angela. I really want to like this title because one, I like Angela mm-hmm. and two, I really love 1602. It's one of the earlier series I got into when I, when I first started reading comics mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't realize at the time. And I know now it was written by Neil Gaiman, which explains. Yeah. That a, explains a lot. A lot. Yep. But I just keep getting lost in this one. Like there was a point where the, one of the characters is telling a story and from what I gather, she is telling an allegory of how she became involved with Angela. And the panels are showing what actually happened. But I just, I can't quite figure out how the two are meshing. Like, I, I'm i just, I'm having a really hard time with it. And I actually had to, like, I had to put the book down and move on to another one because I just, it wasn't making sense and I, I was you know, sitting there scratching my head a lot. And I was like, well, let me just, let's go on to something that I can, I can get through. Okay. That's interesting. That's something that I'll have to go back and glance through. Um, that's always a very interesting um, plot device to me when one character is telling their perspective and then you're also seeing what actually happened. But at the same time, I can see how it's very easy especially if the artist and the uh, writer aren't quite on the same page to get lost in that. Well, I think they're on the same page. I just can't figure out what they're trying to tell me. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't think there's an issue in an, in the book in and of itself, like some kind of dissonance in the book. I just, I was having a hard time wrapping my head around where it was going. So another really good one uh, that I have enjoyed. And I, I believe a version of it will actually continue after after Secret Wars that ends is A-Force, which is the all-female Avengers title. Yes, yes. Um, it's led by She-Hulk, who... You know, I don't... I haven't read a whole lot of She-Hulk, but what I've read, and I, I've, I've, read, I've read part of the last series, and I've intermittently picked up stuff from the She-Hulk or, or her, her time in the Avengers, I, I really enjoyed... She-Hulk. Like, I really enjoyed her leading the Avengers. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's a very human book. You know, they're not... They're not without their problems. They're not without flaws. And and a lot of the story really evolves, revolves around 
them kind of dealing with a lot of that stuff. And and I find that quite honestly very fascinating. Yeah, and She-Hulk is experiencing kind of a burst of popularity right now just because of those things that you've just mentioned. Um, she's experiencing a burst of popularity with comic fans in general and then also with women. Um, and, I mean, seeing kind of the rise of female characters and with um, Marvel about to release another miniseries, I think on Netflix, uh, about Jessica Jones. Yes, it's um, one of the four, one of the four uh, Defenders. Yeah, and it, just having kind of some representation is really, I mean, I've never been one of those people that thinks that, um, I, I, I don't know, I guess I just didn't really miss the strong female characters in comics earlier, but now that they're here, I'm really excited. Um, well, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the She-Hulk situation. I'm, I'm excited about her. You know, it, I mean, and, and, and without trying to go too far down this, this topic, because this is certainly a topic for, why is this, this is a topic for entire separate, not just podcast episodes, but entire podcasts themselves. Yeah. Is, is female representation in comics. But, for as much of a stride as many as much of a stride as, as as female representation has made there's still a lot of issues with it there's a lot of um kind of inappropriate representation mm-hmm. or just you know very lackluster and so i personally think this is this is a a a good book for that you know i'm not i'm certainly not any kind of self-proclaimed feminist. I don't, I'm not against feminism, but I just, yeah, it's not something that I'm particularly cognizant of most of the time, but this, this at least to me seems like a, a, a pretty good representation of, 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 of strong female characters dealing with reasonable things. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, it's not, it's not too heavy handed on the feminism, um, which is kind of the thing I, I have expressed this before on other podcasts and in blogs posts, but I don't really like to be preached to whether I agree with the point of view or not. So having something where I identify with the characters, but I don't feel like they're forcing me to not along to their message makes me a lot happier. <laughs> so I I'm, I'm absolutely with you that um, this is a great title for uh, just women in general and, and anybody that really likes comics. Um, yeah, that is certainly helpful, but let's talk villains really quickly. Hang on. Let's, let's talk. One villain in particular, I want—I do want to start with actually, um, and that is kind of the villain of villains for this series, and that is God Doom. Yes, whom I am loving. I am absolutely just, just enthralled by this character, in part because, you know, Doom is trying to do his best to do good here. Yes, I, I exactly. mean, Doom, Doom has created the universe more or less in his image. Like, I mean. Really, to kind of borrow from 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 biblical idea here, creating the universe in his image, mm-hmm. and he's doing the best he can to provide a a stable environment for everyone. Right now, now when I say stable, I mean like a universe that's not going to implode upon itself. You know, there are horrible there are horrible places in Battle World, like Age of Apocalypse and and other 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 areas. But Doom is doing everything he can to just hold it all together. Yes. And yes, he's put himself as God. But that's because he feels he's the only one 
who can do this, who can hold this all together, who can keep yeah. everyone as much as possible of the of the old universes together. Yes. Um, and then when when the heroes show up, everything is great, and Doom is still in charge and powerful. With one exception, is that when he sees Reed Richards, and as even as much as he as much power as he now has and control and everything else, he still cannot get over his hatred and jealousy of Reed Richards. And it's yeah. just it 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 humanizes Doom on such a great level. Where where he is he is all powerful, he is all knowing, and yet he still cannot get over the, the the petty human problems he had before. Yeah. Well, and and that's the cool thing, right? Because, and this again kind of goes back to my love of mythology. That um, there's this great quote that um, Strange says to Doom that he's omnipotent but not omniscient. Right? He's all powerful. He has created this in his own own image, but he doesn't know everything. Um, it's very close, but not quite. And it's just something about this way that they're sort of tying it into a very, very ancient mythology. And yet they're kind of putting a little bit of a modern twist on it, or they're putting a variation. So the story feels so familiar because humanity has been telling this story for what, 10,000 years at this point. I mean, whether it was cave paintings or now, or, or, um, you know, storytelling around a campfire or now it's, it's books, but these stories are, are familiar to us on a DNA level. We've been telling them for 10,000 years. And then we put just a little bit of a twist on it and all of a sudden it's brand new. And yes, that's absolutely why I love um, Doom in the, in this series. You know, the other thing I was thinking, I was thinking about that I love about Doom is that he has all this power and he hasn't gone completely nuts with it. Yes. He's actually trying to do something good. Like you kind of figure, well, you know, when the supervillain gets the power, then they're just, then it's over. Like they're just going to, to control everything. And no, in, 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 in a, in a lot of respects, he's actually very hands off. Yeah. He lets things happen. He lets people do what they need to do and steps in only when he has to, he is not, you know, controlling the entirety of the world with an iron fist and micromanaging everything. I, and I just, I think it's, I think it's great. Also, I love just the look of doom with the white robes and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially, I mean, the Esad Ribic art is just spectacular for that. I completely agree. So, so what other villains were you thinking of? I was also going to talk a little bit about Thanos. Um, so what did you think about this situation? I'm curious to see, well, there's actually two Thanos books that are worth talking about. Obviously the one is the main secret Avengers title. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to see where, where, what he's going to do in that one. He, it really hasn't been very well revealed at all yet. He's just sort of made a few appearances really. Right. And I, and I like that. Um, I like the fact that, um, Valeria is, is, is in defiance of doom, trying to find out everything she can. And I feel like that's going to cause everything to come, come tumbling down. Like it's going to unravel yeah. everything. Mm -hmm. um, even, even she has said she's seen, you know, all of these care, all these actors before, 
but they're all something is all anomalous about them. They're all different than she expects, especially yeah. certain ones like like Thanos is more powerful than she anticipates. Yeah. The other one that's good though is uh, the Infinity Gauntlet, and that's kind of, that one's kind of interesting. Thanos is being uniquely manipulative. You know, he's always aside from being <laughs> the mad, he's the Mad Titan, and he's brilliant. But he is trying to manipulate this 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 Nova and the and her family, basically into helping him collect the Infinity Gems to create the Infinity Gauntlet. And it's kind of interesting how it's going. Especially, we hear a lot of his his inner monologue, mm-hmm. and I think that was in issue. I think it's either issue two or three. We hear a lot of his his inner inner monologue and him trying to explain how he's going about doing it. It, it. You know, it almost actually reminds me of probably my favorite Shakespeare plays, Richard III, where Richard is constantly either as a sides to the audience or in, in monologues when, when he's on, when he's on his own. Um, he's constantly talking about how, how he intends to manipulate and deceive the other characters and, and kind of mocking them for their, the fact that they fall for it, yeah. And Thanos has a has a has a very Richard feel in 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 that particular sense in this. Yes, um, I have to point out that towards the end of issue five, um, they really talk and and they may have mentioned the name earlier, and I just don't remember. But they mention um, how Black Swan appears in Doomstadt. Or Doomstadt, I should say, um, which Stadt is the German word for state. And I find it interesting that yet again, Marvel is sort of comparing um, this new battle world to a Germanic sort of um, empire, which is a well, little interesting. Well, That's unusual. That, that also or not unusual. Lot, it is very usual. That also has a lot to do with, with Doom himself. You yeah, know, true, true. It, I mean, Latveria, but it's it's really kind of an Eastern, Eastern European like Germany, Poland area. I mean, that that's kind of always where uh, Lat uh, Latveria kind of is always supposed to have been. You know, mm-hmm. somewhere between there, like Romania, all that kind of that that general kind of northern eastern quarter of of yeah. Europe. Well, and. We've talked a little bit in blog posts about how the history of um, the United States and and the world that the U.S. finds itself in since the beginning of comics has kind of influenced comics itself, um, whether it is World War II, whether it is the Cold War, whatever, um, really has kind of set a tone for how comics respond to the world that they're in. And I think that, in a way, that's still happening. We're still seeing kind of reverberations from those giant historical events in the comics that we read. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I, I, I don't know about you. I'm I, Coming into this event, I was nervous about it. I was, not, I was not anticipating a particularly good event. Well, as with any event, really. I mean, well, event comics a, have a bad rap at this point. I mean, they, they do... Not necessarily for good reason. I mean, there have been some some Marvel events that have been rougher than others. Um, DC's most recent event, Convergence, was an absolute clusterfuck. I still have no idea what the hell happened, and I've, <laughs> I've and and I've actually read the whole fucking thing. Like it just, and part of it is they were trying to take. 
we're getting off topic here a little bit, but they were trying to take basically everything and put it all together. And when I say everything, I mean pre-crisis, post-crisis, infinite crisis, final crisis. I mean, just everything and, and try try to go somewhere with it. And like Marvel's doing it, but Marvel's actually realistically, this, this is more Marvel's version of, of, of crisis on infinite earths. And, and we'll, we'll see if Marvel can, can manage, manage their version of crisis better than, than DC did. But it, it seems to be working a lot better. It it um, seems to be a lot more cohesive, honestly. Um, everything sort of makes a little more sense, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, th- I do. I actually, I actually kind of want to say part of the reason this was not an editorial mandate. This was something that a creator pitched, and the editorial was willing to go along with, obviously, because it would we wouldn't be doing it. This, you know, we, we wouldn't be rebuilding the entire Marvel line if editorial wasn't behind it yeah but i think because there was a a creative force especially someone like hickman who has it's funny as hell to hear hear him on pat logo's podcast hear him say that he really doesn't think he's good at the long game (laughs) because having read having read his fantastic four run and now his avengers run yep especially now finding out that the avengers run has led up to all of this yes yes i can't for the life of me, understand how he thinks he's bad at the long game, but you know we <laughs> yeah. are our own worst critics. And if Jonathan Hickman wants to think that this is a bad version of the long game, I I invite him to to improve upon it and yep. give me even more amazing stories. Yes, <laughs> you know? he he definitely is a narrative powerhouse. Absolutely. Um, but but I think I think having that that creator driving behind it as opposed to an editorial mandate that hey we're going to we're going to change up our line and we're going to clean things up mm-hmm. as opposed to saying hey this is what I want to do are you guys on board for it yeah. and then them saying yes i think that helps and and i i will be honest some of the lead up into secret wars was kind of messy in part you had a bunch of titles that had to get that had to end and, yeah that yeah and they were and they were ending kind of suddenly and some of them it felt like they had just gotten started, and then they were told they have to end. Um, mm-hmm. Like Guardians three thousand, I think personally is is one of those titles I was really enjoying, and it was like, oh hey, I know you guys are doing it, but you got to end the title right now. <laughs> oh <laughs> fuck, you know. Yeah. But I, I'm, in addition to just being pleased about the, the the current state of what they're doing, I'm really looking forward to see what they're going to do afterwards. I mean, there's been some some titles have been have been. Uh, previewed and whatnot. And actually, I have, I I really need to sit down and and take a look at the next couple months where the previews. But I'm just just based on what what they've done so far with the stories, I, I've got a hard time imagining that I'm gonna I'm gonna hate everything that's coming out afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope so. Um, it's I mean, Hickman sets a high bar, right? So at the minute that he kind of steps away. And releases the um, the reins of the main storyline in the Marvel universe to someone else is always um, a moment when I kind of have my heart in my mouth. But I, I'm with you. Um, I mean, I'll, I, I'll, I'll I'll grant you that. However, Hickman's kind of driving the main title, but the main title, or the main title is good, but it's not the only good thing about this. I mean, yeah. 
True. pretty much across the board, the, the books I have read from this event, I've enjoyed 95, 98% of them. I mean, really, there's only been one or two that I've just kind of been, eh. There was a, there was a MODOK book I started reading. I read the first issue, and it, I didn't like it at all. But beyond that, I mean, and, and there, again, the Angela book that I, but I want to go back and take a look at that because I may, I think it's just my brain was just not capable of wrapping itself <laughs> around that at the time. Yeah. They've all been really good. So I, I have no fears about this book being, about about the, about the future being good because all the entire creative team across the board is doing well. You know, yeah, yeah Hickman may be driving the bus, but everyone's part, everyone's a, a good participant here. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, this is okay. So original, I really enjoyed original sin. Um, and then now with secret war, I'm kind of excited about event comics for the first time in a long time. So, um, in general, yeah, I'm absolutely with you that I think that this is the beginning of some really great things. Well, so what I'm hoping is, and, and, and again, I've got a lot of faith that in Jonathan Hickman, um, the biggest issue with Marvel event comics. And if you go back, basically from civil war kind of up to up to present if there has been a problem with an event it's really been the fact that they have not stuck the landing they've got they've had a great event up until the end and then they just they can't end it properly mm-hmm. yeah. civil war did that secret um secret invasion did that siege yeah. was okay see, you know, see actually siege was better than i better than i remember it being like i in the back of my head, I want—I always want to say Siege was bad, and then I have to stop and say, no, Siege was actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like a, a lot of the events that people had issues with, it was really just because they ended poorly. And if Hickman can stick the landing on this one, and I think he can, this is going to be a really great event start to finish. And yeah, I think you're right. I think it'll it'll make people a little bit more excited about some of these events. Yeah, Absolutely. So, Tracy, outside of uh, Secret Wars, what have you been into lately? Oh, wow. Um, so, I've had a really good week. Um, I ended up finishing Brent Weeks's, um The Way of Shadows, which is the first of the Night Angel trilogy. Really enjoyed it. Um, I have to say that there were a couple of sort of tropes that he fed into, and I still really liked it. I think that he gave kind of a fresh spin, and he's a really good writer. So sometimes, honestly, when the writing is really good, I'm willing to forgive a lot of other stuff. Um, Anyway, so it's obviously the first in a trilogy, so it's feeding into some other stuff, but the actual story from the book itself wrapped up in a very satisfying manner. So I would say that I recommend it, and I may write a review uh, coming up pretty soon. Um, Once I finished that, I jumped into another book called By Way of Deception, which was written by a former Mossad officer about his time in the Mossad. Um, and that's really fascinating to me. Um, Mossad in general is just a really interesting uh, organization. I think there's only about 1,200 people in the whole organization at any given time. So it's very small. It's very, very secret. And of course, secrets make me interested always. Um, and I've also started a DC series called bizarro there's only three issues out so far um and it's about a young kid who's sort of imitating some superheroes or supervillains, depending on what he's interested in at the time uh, and that one is quite interesting um 
and I've really liked that. So, um, and then I've also been going back and reading Old Man Logan as well. So, yeah. Um, what else? I've been watching a couple of random movies, sort of like just sort of old stuff. One was uh, called Lord of War, which is about a gun runner. Oh, that was then, such a good movie. Oh, my God. Thank you. Yes, it was such a good movie. And I almost hate to Before say that Nicolas on this. Before Nicolas Cage went off the fucking uh, out of his mind. No, it yes, was really good. Yes, really, really good. And then I also watched Up in the Air, um, which I really liked. Um, it's sort of... I, <laughs> Okay, so this is a personal confession, but whenever I watch movies where someone is very happy in their sort of unattached life, um, usually the trope is that by the end of the movie, they really want to settle down, they want kids, whatever. And that's fine, absolutely. Like, the vast majority of people settle down and want kids and and get married and, and have a wonderful life. But for once, a movie broke that trope and the main character just wasn't attached by the end of the movie sorry spoilers but it was nice it was nice and very refreshing so yeah really liked that one um what else have i been doing um i've been watching the guilty pleasure i've been watching the witches of east end which is a horrifically awful soap operatic sort of um charmed or a modern version of charmed i don't know it's really bad but all the people in it are really hot so you know, yeah. So that's what I've been doing. What have you been doing? Um, well, I finally, in theory, I'm out of shift work from hell. So that's an yes, improvement. Yes, and we're very glad to have you back, by the way. This, this is literally, this this weekend we are recording this podcast. Um, the first day, the first two days I've had off in six weeks. And yeah. I've been working 10 to 11 hour days. So I mean, certainly it could be worse. And I have worked worse. But it was still pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, Having said that, I'm I'm starting to dive back into some stuff. Um, uh, like two months ago, Becky and I picked up the 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 big Barnes and Noble hardcover of the complete Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, nice! So I, I broke that open last night. And I didn't get a chance to read it because we fell asleep, but that's gonna be that's gonna be happening shortly. Uh, I also bought a PlayStation Television, which is basically about like about forty bucks at GameStop. And it, it's effectively, it's the guts out of a PS Vita. Um, so it can play P- most PS Vita games since the, it is, since the controllers don't have the, the touchpad on the back. Because it, it uses an, either a PS3 or PS4 controller. And since my PS3 is hello dead, um, I might as well make use of the controllers again. Yeah. But uh, since it doesn't have the touchpad on the back, you can't play all the Vita games with it. Um, but... I can also use it to play old uh, PS PS class PS one classic games. Nice. So, and I've already and I'd already downloaded a bunch of those for my Vita. So now in the office I have set up my PlayStation and I'm playing Final Fantasy seven. Awesome, awesome. Because it's glorious. Yes. Beyond that, I don't know that there's anything I'm. I've really been catching up on. I don't know if I if I mentioned this before. I watched a while back. Uh, Carrie Fisher's Wishful Drinking. Oh, we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that a little. That that was actually really, really pretty great. Um, they did it back in, I think, 2010 is when they recorded it. But basically, it was Carrie Fisher's one-woman show um, about her life and, and, and whatnot. 
So she talks about Star Wars and she talks about her relationship with Paul Simon, who she basically confirms everything I've ever heard about Paul Simon. And he said he's just a raging dickhead. Well, um, yeah. Talented, but raging. <laughs> I, I, not, not that long ago, I read an, I read an interview with um, Art Garfunkel, so it was, it was Simon and Garfunkel, mm-hmm. and he just hadn't. He, he complimented Paul's talent a lot, but as a human being, he had nothing good to say about him. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not at all shocked by that. Um, having said that, the the other thing she talks about that's great is is her childhood and her family. And you got to keep in mind who her family is, and and the craziness that happened. There was she, she's talking about her parents, and then all the people her parents married throughout the years. And some of those people's previous or or future spouses, and one of the women on there was married nine times, and apparently that was a record for the board, which kind of blew my mind because Elizabeth fucking Taylor was on that board too. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, Carrie Fisher's dad left her mom to go marry Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, I think he was the husband before Richard Burton the first time. Nice. Right there was Richard Burton the second time, and I think there was a there was a, I think there was someone in the middle there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Eddie Fisher was like husband number four, four? three or four. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, it, if you get a chance to watch, it's on HBO right now. Like if you have HBO now or HBO Go or, or just or a regular HBO subscriber, and you can get get to their on demand stuff. It's it's really pretty fantastic. Uh, definitely definitely worth worth an hour and a half or so of your time yeah sounds like it i mean i'm about to check it out just just going on what you've just said all right folks well if you like what we do head on over to thereforeageek.com check out our our blog posts and our podcasts you can follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash therefore i geek follow us on twitter at therefore i geek and tracy is at mary eyes mm-hmm. we have instagram Therefore, I geek, and you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes and Stitcher. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review, preferably five stars. I mean, if if, if we're going to be specific, then yes. It, yeah. <laughs> so once again, I'm Andrew, and I'm Tracy, and you've been listening to Therefore I Geek. <laughs>